This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art, because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Caradini, and we are still at NC State. Yeah! So this is the second of two episodes we're doing live at NC State, and uh, we are super stoked to be here. It's always a lot of fun to have uh, a live audience, and so um, we're going to be talking in a little bit more cave-like environment, so apologies for the the sound. Echo. Echo, echo. But today we're going to be talking about libraries, and you might think, wow, that's different. And certainly not as exciting as marijuana or civil forfeiture. Yeah. Um, but it is important. And the fact that you don't think about your library most of the time is why we're doing this, because it is a positive, invisible legal structure. So we have been throughout the season talking about our uh, multiple axes of the structure agency problem. And in this particular episode, we're going to be looking at the positive end of the negative positive axes. And we're going to be looking at the invisible end of the visible invisible axes. And finally, the legal end of the social legal axes. And, and don't worry, we'll trace that all out again. Yep, we'll, 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 we got you. Um, <laughs> so the, the library is seemingly one of the most common ambient institutions that we have in American civil life. It's just they, they are on various street corners, you see them, and you're like, yes, that is, that is my library. library. Yes. I haven't been in there in three years, but yeah. it's my library. I haven't been in there ever, but that's my library. Yeah. I was in there last week, and I got a book, and that's my library. <laughs> and so there's an expectation that libraries are just going to always exist. This is not necessarily true, because in the way of anything else, libraries are funded by various means, and they are patronized by various people, and they have um, institutional trajectories like anybody else, like any other organization. And so they have their own sorts of problems and concerns that most people never think about because libraries have figured out how to deal with them pretty effectively. (laughs) So they are doing a really good job, and therefore no one ever thinks about them, which is both a positive thing and a negative thing. Right. It's worth note for context that the idea of libraries is not new. Libraries have existed for a very long time. But the idea of a public library is actually a relatively recent invention. It's only a couple hundred years old at most. I don't know the exact date that we started doing public libraries. But for a long time, libraries did exist, but they were all private. They belonged to universities, or they belonged to aristocrats, or they belonged to kings. They were the kinds of things that you had to have money to have, and that you had to have either money or connections to access. And somewhere along the way, somebody thought, you know, reading is actually really cool. And if you can read and you have access to books, you can actually better your own state in society. You can learn how to do things. You can grow as an individual, not just economically, but culturally and in all of these ways. You can become a better citizen. Right. You can become a better citizen. You can become a better producer in the economy. You can do all sorts of interesting things if you can just go read books. This is not a panacea. And although there have been a few utopian idealists out there who thought that if we just have libraries, everything will be awesome, mostly people just recognize that it is not a cure-all, but it is one of several ways in which you can actually bring real structural benefits to your society that then over time have become what we we coined the term a couple episodes of an ambient social good. In this case, it's one that exists 
not only socially, but also legally. It's supported legally. We use tax money to support them. That's Mm -hmm. why we consider Mm -hmm. them public. But it's sort of, as Stephen said a moment ago, ambient. It is not something that you think about all the time. And functionally, it's invisible in a lot of ways. It's very positive, and we'll, we'll trace out some of the ways that it's positive in a minute. But it's basically invisible for the most part. If you're not regularly patronizing your library, you probably don't think about your local library very much. It's just kind of there. And so even if it were to go away, many people wouldn't really notice. But the cost of a library going away to a community in the span of even just a few years, but especially on the span of decades, would we think be very significant and very bad? And so some people might think, okay, yeah, so libraries, great, but like now we have the internet, so we don't really need libraries as much, and like maybe we need the uh, libraries because they provide internet to people that don't otherwise have it. Um, but I mean, they have cell phones now, right? I mean, we there even homeless people seem to have cell phones, so um, there are there are a lot, a lot, a lot of people in this world that have that have cell phones that are connected to the internet, maybe not a whole lot of internet, maybe they have data caps, maybe, you know, whatever it is. But at a basic level, we have the internet. And so... Shut down the libraries! That's not what anybody's saying, Chris. That's (laughs) not true. But at a more pernicious level, Mm -hmm. the fact that we just don't think about a library and would be more susceptible to, if somebody said shut down a library, we'd be like, that's really weird. Why would you say that? But they might have convincing arguments about economics or about vagrancy or about various other things. And you might be like, well, okay, those kind of sound like good arguments. And, like, and, and we do have the internet, yeah, I guess. we do have so. the internet, I guess. So. But the reason that we think this is a particularly bad thing and why libraries being invisible in the fabric of our society is a problem is that the library serves much larger function than just being some sort of public internet stop <laughs> um, and some sort of like area of last resort if you can't find a certain piece of information. People who are in universities or who have a more uh, intimate relationship with research may be protesting loudly like, hey, 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 I'm in a library all the time. Libraries are great. This is fine. This episode is stupid. Stop. Um, and that's good. Like, if you're already on the, like, pro-libraries train, then, like, mazel tov, here we go. Keep but, writing that train. Yeah. Um, but what we're interested in is if you don't think about a library a lot, if you're not in a library a lot, you might not see any benefit to it. And there are benefits to it in what we're going to talk about three different ways to a, uh, which we're going to call books, the internet and homeless people. (laughs) Um, But uh, it, it largely corresponds to this idea of uh, specific types of knowledge that are accessible in a library, um, specific types of internet use that aren't covered by cell phones, and the community benefits of a library. Right. We often think that because we have the internet, and I, when I say we often think, I don't think most people think this consciously, but functionally, sometimes we act as though, and some people might consciously think, you know, we don't really need books that much. I can look up any fact I want. I can Google it, or I can hit Wikipedia, or whatever else. If it's true. <laughs> right. The The question, of course, besides just if it's true on Wikipedia, which is sometimes debatable, is the kinds of material that are available there. And there is still a real difference between reading an article, even a really good article online, and sitting down and reading a book. Books are, by dint of being a different medium than the internet, 
than an article on the internet. They do different things. They do different things in how we engage with them mentally. They do different things in how we learn from them, therefore. They do different things in how they store knowledge, even. And because the internet is ephemeral, because things on the internet can change so rapidly, for example, if you want to cite something that was on a website from 12 years ago, you'd better hope that it either is still up or that the internet archive has backed it up because otherwise you're out of luck. It's gone. By contrast, if you want to cite something from a book that was written 12 years ago, most likely all the copies haven't been burned, and there's a decent chance that some library in the country has one and that your library can get it via interlibrary loan. Indeed. So for purposes of research and for purposes of just learning interesting things, which you might strictly call research, but right. isn't necessarily that. I mean, the library I went to growing up had manuals for how to repair cars. That's... That's something you might be able to find on the internet, but especially looking at it on your little phone, that's going to be hard, and this was exhaustive. You could repair every Ford that had been manufactured since 1930-something, if I recall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I shelved those books, and they were large and heavy, but it was, it was a bit of insight. You could show up and pick up a book off the library shelf and check it out and take it home and repair your car using that knowledge. That's not something that you could just do. And even as it becomes possible to do those kinds of things, there's also historical value in mm -hmm. being able to go look up and say, hey, what did these sources think about this topic in mm -hmm. 1980 or 1940? Or just read a book. Like reading books is actually fun too. You can go to the library and read fiction. And I did a lot more of that when I wasn't in the middle of a 90 hour long master's degree, but it's still a thing I do sometimes. And yeah. I think we're going to have to put that one on the, the Chris Gorey longest monologue of the, <laughs> of the year list. It was up there. Yeah. Um, but another thing about the, the library is that in addition to just having different types of information stored there, there are also people whose job it is to help you find this information. So here at NC State, we have incredible librarians at Hill and Hunt Libraries who do an awesome job and who can help you in a wide array of ways that Google searches can't. Like, right. They just don't have the same sort of operands that uh, speaking to a, a librarian <laughs> can afford you. Um, and the best Google search in the world often won't get you anywhere near, oh, I know, here's a book that, here's a book that talks about that. Yes. Um, or I think you're talking about this and this other author is really what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Or here's how to use the Dewey Decimal System. No or, one uses the Dewey Decimal System. It's I totally all Congress. The it's Congress, system. man. It's the Library of Congress system. I got schooled in that at like oh! two weeks ago. So, schooled um, in public on, on a podcast I'm just, episode. I'm just, yeah. We're, we're getting a lot of mediation levels there. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's important that for the life of information that we have libraries and we have librarians who are in them. And um, there are whole university programs on how to be an incredible information librarian. So that's an important thing that libraries offer that the unmediated internet or the less mediated internet than a librarian's breadth of knowledge can afford you. So that's really important. There's also the element that now that the library has, has deemed the internet as a public good and a public knowledge source in the same way that books are, that we have the ability to access internet and libraries. And for a lot of, particularly lawmakers, this is one of the now main functions of libraries is providing public spaces for internet to be accessed um, freely. And so it's an important thing to think about that, even in controvert to the idea that we all have the internet on our phones. 
if you want to do certain types of thing on your phone, it's very hard, like learning to code. Learning to code on your phone is extremely difficult. That's not really the environment that that is set up for. Right. So by... Or filling out tax forms. Or filling out tax forms. Don't get me started. Or <laughs> any sort of thing. But in particular, I want to hone in on this little niche right here that if we want to say that being a part of the internet society is knowing how to code or even just knowing how code works, mm -hmm. doing that through a cell phone is not the way that that is normally going to be done. Right. That is explicitly set apart as mobile environment. Right. And increasingly so, the stuff that goes into mobile doesn't have any connection to stuff that goes on the same site for a, a web-facing client. Um, the code may is very different, um, and the content sometimes is even completely different as these two environments are separated farther and farther at a technical level. And so um, that's a particularly large problem. If you're only getting your internet through the phone, you're actually accessing a different internet right. and a different content sometimes than the rest of us. There are significant ethical issues there right. that, that you can't just elide by saying like, oh, they got the phone, the internet, <laughs> it's great. They're, they're gonna have, it's gonna be great. Everything's gonna be fine. Right, that doesn't work that way. It's, it's a particularly important element. Even if you don't want to learn to code, even just understanding how code works and being able to investigate that is extremely difficult on a phone. Like right. everyone who's used Chrome has accidentally clicked on inspect element and been like, oh, oh, what just <laughs> happened? Oh, that's what the internet looks like. That's terrifying. <laughs> and that's an important thing to be able to do. We want people to have that experience of being like... Steven, did you just call my day job terrifying? Uh, yes. <laughs> And there's, I mean, no one who listens to this podcast probably has the same experience, but there are plenty of people that have done that and been like, what do I do to get this to go away? <laughs> <laughs> this needs to stop. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And I think that's an important thing to, be, to have an experience of. Right. And those kinds of things can be, so we've zoomed in on that specific example, but it really can be generalized. Mm -hmm. There are things that are hard to access, impossible to access. There are also things that while you can do on a phone, the medium constrains you to how likely you are. I don't know how many listeners have ever tried to read through a 30,000 word long form journalism piece in the Atlantic on their phone, but it's painful. It takes a lot of motivation. Yeah, it really does. You're <laughs> There is something about the very physical form of what you're doing that makes it harder to do that than it is to pick up a magazine and do the same thing. The physicality of what you're using makes a difference. And that takes us back around to that idea of how books interact with us differently by being a different medium. And magazines, which libraries usually have subscriptions to. Magazines as well. Likewise, interacting with a laptop or a PC is different Maybe not better or worse, but very, very different from interacting with your iPhone or your Galaxy S6 or hopefully not a Galaxy 7 Note because it might explode or, <laughs> you know, don't, don't do that. Just leave it off. Just leave it off. That's a very different media experience oh right God. there. <laughs> That's a bit outside the scope of this episode. <laughs> it's a different media experience, it definitely though. It is a very different one, yes. But no, the kinds of things we do on different devices generally are different because of those simple physical constraints. It's yeah. hard to read 30,000 words on a phone screen. Yeah. It's not, not supposed to even. Right. Like that's not really what the phone is supposed to, or a, a online 
mobile experience is supposed right. to do. It's not generally oriented that way. And there are ways that you can make that easier. As a web developer, I have strong thoughts about making it easier to engage with all of your content. For okay, your, stop now before you get there. <laughs> for all of your audience. But even if you do that, and this is where I was going with that, even Oof. if you do that, it's never going to have the benefit that sitting down and saying, hey, librarian, can you help me find some resources for learning how to write Python yeah. online can do. And even Googling, this I mean, is a weird thing that people don't think about often, but you actually have to learn at some point how to use Google and how to use search tools indeed. and things like that well. Indeed. And librarians are often the best equipped to teach those kinds of things. Indeed, operands and all of that. So that covers sort of the, the middle one. But then community is the other big function that libraries have. Right. And so one of the things that libraries do is they offer an open public space that's mm -hmm. free. So even other places that are pretty open public spaces like the YMCA um, or places like Elks Lodge or things like this where you can do VFW outposts, things like this, the library is expressly and totally free. Right. Now, they may run a class or two that has like some higher costs associated with it, but that's actually pretty rare at libraries. Like they offer things for free. Like <laughs> it's a big deal. Yeah, that is a huge deal, especially if you're in a community where there is not as high economic status um, and there aren't as many options available to you to get some of these things. Like there are TESOL courses that go on in libraries. There are young mothering courses that go on in libraries. There are all sorts of things that relate to the life of the community that go on in libraries that if you are in a situation where you have access to those through other sources – you're going you're gonna to take it. You might go to you know, a, a birthing center, and they might teach you about certain things, and it'll cost you. Right. And that's an important good that the library provides. It is giving something to the community mm -hmm. that you would otherwise have to pay for. Now, it's not going to be as convenient. It's going to be at a specific time. There's not going to be a lot of them. You know, it's not going to be catered around your life. But if you need this information, they can give it they to you. They can give it to you, yeah. And those kinds of communal support and infrastructure, it's hard to overstate how valuable they are. Even mm -hmm. for me and my family, very comfortably middle class, those kinds of things have been a real breath of fresh air for my wife with our little girls to be able to go over there for a reading group where they can have someone else read to them rather than just her, <laughs> and they can interact with other families, etc. What, she doesn't want to read the same book 19 times? Wow. <laughs> Maybe it's the 20th time that oh, pushes her over the edge. You but go. you do get that, and you do have interaction with other other parents in the community. You do have interaction with other kids. Your kids can make friends and practice social skills. And small thing to me, perhaps, but big thing to a lot of people, you might be able to go over to a library while there's a kid's reading group and grab a book off the shelf and be learning something while your kids are sitting mm -hmm. in that reading group. That's mm -hmm. the kind of thing that literally no other institution does. Right. And that's enormously beneficial, not just, but especially to low-income communities, mm -hmm. to communities that are otherwise very much struggling to find that kind of social and economic mm -hmm. mobility. Mm -hmm. These are an institution that, though they're basically, as we said at the outset, fairly invisible, provide enormous benefits to people. Right. And there are also just physical benefits. So yep. it is an open space. Like if you are homeless, you can go to the library. They're not going to kick you out. Mm -hmm. That's You can be there. You're a citizen. You're part of the society. You can be there. If you are struggling with 
any number of, of social problems, you can go to the library. They can get you, point you to the resources that you need. They are a public good. You can go to the library and they can connect you with other public and even private sources of information, of assistance. That is part of what they do there. They mm-hmm. are set up as community spaces and community, even advocates. Mm-hmm. They, are, they are there to be a part of that community and um, serve its public good, which is the structure part right. of this particular structure agency. And the agency is that you can use a you library. You can go to the library. <laughs> you yeah. can actually go and do it. It's not hard. And that's amazing. In, in especially in environments where it seems like everything comes with um, a contract. A price tag. Well, yeah, a, a price tag and a contract with forced arbitration in it. <laughs> you yeah. know, the library does not does not do that. To no you. forced arbitration. No, you can is, just check that book out, which it's is okay. awesome. Which is awesome. You and do if have you, to bring it back. Yes, yes. And if they uh, if you don't bring it back, then they will find you. But mostly because they want the book back. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Please give us our book back. Yeah. So it is an important thing socially. Um, for the communities that those libraries are in, and it's it's deeply relevant mm-hmm. to those communities. Um, and that's some sometimes it takes being and moving into uh, a role in that community where you're suddenly aware of those issues. Right, so where it if becomes you, visible. Right. So if you have kids and you're like, I need to take them somewhere, the library is right over there. Let's do that. Um, or if you find yourself outside of a university but you still wanted to be an independent scholar and you still want to do some of this work, or if you find yourself in a situation where, as has happened to almost every college student before, like your computer crashes and you're like, <laughs> I got to go to Hill and use the computer. It's not like, where am I going to find a computer? It's like, obviously the, I'll library go to the library has some computers. Right. And so that sort of expectation, that there when you need itness, is invisible until it's suddenly visible. Very visible. And yep. then you're really happy that it's there, but you don't have to think about it. And that's a great thing. Like, right. we want the library to keep doing that forever. But if we don't think about that, then eventually the structure will disappear and the agency will uh, be a disappeared as right. well. Because the thing is, libraries exist because we choose to support them legally. We choose to fund them with our taxes, etc. And one of the real dangers for any kind of ambient good like this uh, I've seen that this can happen even in the context of a church where over time they forget why they exist. They just kind of are there and they've been used to being there and they forget the message. They they stop thinking about the gospel. That's it, it at least hypothetically the whole reason they're there. Right. It's this good around which the entire community formed in the first place, just as in this case we have a good which the community thinks is worth supporting. The danger is that you can lose it because you take it for granted. And right. I think a lot of people culturally do take libraries for granted. Right. And though we may not have quite the degree of panics over libraries that we do over orchestras, as we talked about a few episodes back, right. I do think there's sometimes an undercurrent of concern of, do people still value the library? And our answer is, well, yeah, people may not talk about them, but people do. But we also want to say, and you should. You should yeah. when there's a question of funding for your, your local libraries. May that never be May, right. But when it comes up on the on the tax allocation, say yeah, right. we want we want to support that. This is a right. thing that, like other public institutions, is enormously powerful mm-hmm. and enormously beneficial. Mm-hmm. And we want to continue 
keeping it there. And we shouldn't let its invisibility lead us to a spot where we stop caring about it. We stop protecting it. And so in that sense, you have to do the work generation after generation of making it visible again so that all of those goods it provides, all of those benefits it provides, so that its positiveness on this scale becomes apparent to people so that it doesn't go away because libraries are awesome. Yeah. So it's it's a deeply important thing to remember that the library does serve a lot of functions, more than just books, more than just... But some, books are awesome. But books are awesome. More than just the internet, more than just a social space, but it's all of, it's those, all of those together. Yep. And the fact that it effectively and almost invisibly does all of those things together makes it literally one of the most successful social experiments that we've ever <laughs> achieved in humankind True history. Story. Um, so we should like, you know, give it some props every now and then. So <laughs> props that's library. Props library. Mad props even. <laughs> mad props. Mad props. All right. I'll give them mad props. The intro music was Widows and Revolutionaries by Darling Valley. We used it with, by permission. Please don't use it without permission. Thanks again to Andrew Fallows, Jeremy W. Sherman, and Kurt Klassen for sponsoring the show this month. Seriously, sponsors are awesome. If you'd like to sponsor the show... You would page, be awesome. You would be awesome. It would confer awesomeness <laughs> upon you. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash winning slowly or cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. Uh, 10% of whatever you give us goes to the Internet Archive because digital ephemera will someday be cool Easter eggs in the footnotes of books true story books are awesome and if you want the internet to be in books give to the internet archive via giving to us you're you're getting i'm going off script you're getting a little intense here chris books they're so great (laughs) you're you're freaking me out man (laughs) as always we appreciate it when you share our show with your friends so please do tell them about it or post it on social media and we also appreciate it when you rate and review us in itunes or on any other podcast directory yep And if you love your library or have thoughts on libraries, you can send comments about that our way at our Twitter, at Winning Slowly, at our Facebook page, or email us at hello at winningslowly.org. We respond as quick as we can because we actually are really interested in this stuff. As always, thank you for listening. Go visit your local library. (laughs) 